This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Heretic Happy Hour, whose tagline is burning questions, not people. Join hosts Shonda Jaw, December Rose, Dr. Reverend Katie Valentine, Keith Giles, and myself, Matthew J. DiStefano, for a happy hour filled with quality conversation, fine fellowship, and perhaps even a laugh or two. Unapologetically irreverent and crass, yet sometimes profound, we make sure to pull no punches and leave no stones unturned as we discuss the Christian faith. But listener, beware. There will assuredly be some serious sacred cow tipping. If that sounds like your cup of tea, or bourbon if that's your thing, head on over to heretichappyhour.com to stay up to date with us, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast fix. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Nat Turney, one of your two hosts. Don't forget that on this show, you get two, two, two hosts for the price of one. Uh, my name is Nat. My brother, John, is in the upper left-hand corner of the Hollywood Square. Say hi, John. Hi, John. And literally nobody listening will know who the hell the, or what the hell the Hollywood Squares are, but... Um, John's comfortably yeah. up in, in the center left square or I can't be work? in the center square. Whatever. Uh, is there such a, I just made up a whole square center left center. Right. Anyway, uh, we, <laughs> um, John actually at some point turned this whole introduction thing over to me because presumably I'm better at it. I just keep proving him wrong every single time I do this. So one no. day he'll get back up again. Um, <laughs> we have an awesome guest with us. It's not the first time we've talked to this guy, but Matt DeStefano's here with us. Say hi, Matt. What's going on? How are you? Well, we're good, man. We uh, we have most people who listen to the podcast, or I should say, at least a lot of people who listen to the podcast are familiar with you. But if you're not familiar with Matt, um, Matt is a best-selling author. He's written a ton of books. Uh, most recently, uh, "Don't Be a Dick," which is just an awesome name for any book to, that you would find in your local Christian bookstore. The other one is "The Genesis of Violence," which is an amazing, amazing graphic uh, work with uh, illustrations by Zach Parsons. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, that, that's amazing. Maybe we can chat about that for a minute. Also multiple things in the works as well. So like, uh, like a lot of guys, he's just got many, many irons in the fire. So welcome back to the podcast, Matt. What's up, bud? What's going on? Yeah. They don't tell you like in school count, your, your school counselor never tells you, Hey, you're going to have like 12 jobs. They just say, <laughs> what's your, what's your career going to be? And it's like, how about I just do all of it? Yeah. So that, yeah, that's what I've been doing. You've been doing your, your 12 jobs on top of all the content you provide and all the things that you yeah, do. And pretty being much. A, being a husband and a father and an all-around, you know, dissident, the kind of guy that just gets gets in trouble a lot. Well, I don't know. I, yeah, I, attract, I, I attract some interesting folks. Yeah, you do. Maybe we should do a little segment about all of the... I have never seen anybody besides David Hayward who gets more vicious, hateful, bullshit mail from folks. I just... People just randomly feel like they need to tell you how they feel about you, right? Yeah, David's in, well, David's an interesting case because David is, is a lot, I mean, he has a much larger following than I do on like Instagram and things like that. So he must get inundated, but I, I love some of the comments. I, I have to respect some of the comments that he and I get just in how creative some, some trolls and haters can be. It's like, this is so good. I have to put this on a book somewhere because it's like <laughs> the grammar. You know, normally trolls, they don't use grammar. They type in all caps, but sometimes people come around and it's like, this is well written. Bravo. Like I, I have to tip my cap to you. 
I, I like that David take David took to like posting some of those and making Instagram posts. You know, just something nasty and hateful somebody sent yeah. to him, and he's like, "Hey, thanks for the endorsement. I really appreciate that." No, I, would love, I would love to see him on some like inspirational quotes with like a eagle flying in the background or yeah, something. There you go. Yeah, I think it's I, I think lean into it, man. It's pretty good. Any attention is good attention, I guess. But John and I got a very long email. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but John got it yesterday, warning us and expressing concern for us that we were too LGBTQ affirming. And too, like T-O-O? Like, yeah, like T-O-O. Like, 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 us, like, I should say, and, and, no, but not too much? No, no. Yeah. I, I think any affirmation for this person was too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and Or maybe they just misunderstood us. And so John's going to write an email back that said, nope. Yeah, just He's like, how do I tactfully respond? You don't tactfully respond to that. You just tell them they're full of shit and go on. So, uh, uh, But, you know, again, we get our one email, and I'm sure you get dozens. But um, well, let's we, talk. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, we, we, we received 73 voicemails on our hotline at one point, uh, for the Heretic Happy Hour. So if you can beat that, I, uh, I, I applaud you. From one person? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, one Holy person shit. left 73 voicemails. And so I, I, I mixed it and chopped it up and put music to it. And we had a whole episode on Heretic Happy Hour for like, it was like a 35 minute episode of him just ranting and raving about us. And then, and then we're like, well, that's the show. And that's the end. <laughs> that's the best. I love it. That's, hey, if you're going to put it out there, it's free to use. Yeah, that's this right. is a public, yeah. I mean, it's public, public, uh, at that point. Where were we? Yes. Don't be a <laughs> dick, which by the way, will make a great title for the episode, John. Don't be a yeah. dick with Matt J. Just, yeah. So, um, yeah, let's talk about that. Then, yeah, um, that's an open, that's an open-ended question. How about the, my interviewing skills? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Right. Way, to, way to ask leading questions. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so I've written a bunch of theological books, right? And sometimes theology and philosophy is kind of ivory towerish, and I'm like, honestly, I've already outed myself, so I'll say it again here. I don't really care about theology that much any longer. So I'm just more interested in like practical application things. Like how do I live my life? My, my best friend, Mike Machuga and I have talked about like getting rid of eternal torment as a doctrine was really helpful for where we were. Like universalism was really helpful in um, being able to actually like enjoy the present moment because you didn't have hell looming over you. But then it's like, now what? So don't be a dick is kind of like, what do you do in the day to day to make the world better? Like you can't change. I can't fix climate change. Right. I can't, I can't end the homeless crisis. I can't stop war, but I can do my part. And there's a great Gandalf quote about like, you master the tides in your own, you know, in your own spaces, you make sure the earth is tilled in your own. What weather happens is kind of out of your control. Right. So all we can do is, is do our part in our own little space. And so that there are 69, pardon the crassness, 69 practical applications for making the world a better place. That's that's basically all it is. No, that's interesting. I think my experience parallels that somewhat because, you know, there was a time in my life when theology dominated, you know what I mean? Even, right. even, even in my, like my very initial deconstruction, it was deconstructing bad doctrine. That's so it. I spent a lot yep. of time you know, reading Gerard and reading things like that yeah. and, and hanging out with people who are doing hardcore theology. And right. I'm in a place right now where I honestly, I don't give a shit anymore either. I care, right. but I care less. You know what I mean? It's, it's definitely yeah. secondary to what you just talked about. Yeah. It's like beliefs matter, but ultimately they don't. So they matter in how you're going to approach the world and how you're going to experience the world. 
but at the end of the day, you aren't your beliefs. And so like, just, just do well, do good things. Um, be kind, show empathy, show compassion. And the theological stuff will work itself out. I think you need to have decent theology in order to do that because, you know, I, I mean, obviously the people who are the most bigoted and hateful and spiteful do have generally pretty shitty theology. Uh, so, so there, there is kind of a correlation there. But now that I don't have harmful theology and the theology that I do hold is very loosely. So now it's like, well, how, how do I just be a decent human being? Yeah. Yeah. I remember in, in my, in my earlier stages of deconstruction, when I was very, very, I don't know, I just was consumed with some of this stuff. I talked to anybody all the time, anytime I could, who sort of shared that point of view. And some of it was just to validate my own thoughts. Some of it was just to, to find out there were, you know, there were more people out there that believe what I believe. And then after a while, it just got to a point where we were just in this echo chamber of people who all thought the same way. And, and it, I just got tired of rehashing the same stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. And so, so I, I, I completely lost interest in arguing with people. And then I lost interest in even listening to people who agreed with me just because, okay, now what? I'm, I'm in that same exactly. state of thing that you are. It's like, yeah, yeah the, what you believe will absolutely inform the things that you do. But yeah, once you get past that place, I, there were face group, Facebook groups I was a part of that I was really active in that I'm loosely, if at all, connected to anymore. Because how many times can you hash out the doctrine of hell? Um, once, you, <laughs> right. once you've kicked it to the curb, it's, you know, okay, now what? So yeah, yeah I appreciate that. It's, don't you, don't you find that too? I, I, David Hayward's come up twice now, but one of my favorite, uh, cartoons of his is one that's, it's just a graph. It's just a graph. And the, the, the two axes are, you know, one is how theologically correct you, you think you are. And then on the bottom is how big, how much of a dick you are. Yeah. I got tagged in a lot of that because my book came out at around the same time that came out and people were like, Hey, Matt. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah. That, so those, those, those people that I found who are the most entrenched, I mean, that, that seems to go hand in hand, doesn't it? I mean, the more dogmatic yeah. you are, I mean, it feels like, like you're 100%. just, yeah. So we just actually summed up your whole book in just one. So, how, so yeah, well, it's, it, yeah, no, I'm, it's, kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. No, it's, it's, it's really kind of, um, I mean, there's some like profound things I think in the book, but a lot of it's really just mundane shit we don't think about. I mean, I don't want to like, <laughs> it's a total undersell, right? My, my book is very mundane. Um, no, I, I think the, <laughs> I think the writing is, it's comical. I try to write it from a funny standpoint and I'm just super self-deprecating. Uh, which I think anyone writing any sort of comedy has to be self-deprecating. But I mean, it's as simple as like, you know, putting your shopping cart back and doing all these little things that maybe we don't think about, making sure we pick up our trash, you know, making sure we put things back on the, you know, on the shelves, which I, I you know, if I don't want something, I, you know, have, have a tendency to just put it where I am, right? Instead of putting it back on the shelf. But if you don't do your part, someone else got to pick up the slack. And, and that's the case with anything. Like if you don't put your shopping cart, someone's got to pick it up. So, so maybe someone's pulling in, maybe a handicap's pulling in, a handicapped person is pulling in and they can't park close to the, to the store because you're too much of a dick and you put your shopping cart, you know, right in the middle of the, uh, of the stall there, you know, instead of putting it back, you know, then you're just being a dick. You're making, you're making someone's day worse and you don't know where people are. You don't know where people right. are with their yeah. mental health. With all these things, that we just assume everyone's fine because we're in a culture of fine. But maybe the thing that you do that is so mundane is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And you, why would you want to be that? Why do you want? Why do you want to impact the world in that way? Because you know, there's there's so much mental health going on 
Like someone could be at their wits end and it's your little tiny bit of dickishness that just sends them over the top and then just send them spiraling down. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah conversely, I, that one little act of kindness. Exactly. It's sometimes I, what that person needs to go. Okay. Like not mm-hmm. everyone's an asshole. Right. Okay, there are exactly. decent people right. left. So exactly. Yeah. yeah I, I, I work in the retail industry and these last couple of years have been pretty, pretty difficult. People yeah. are overstressed for, sure. you know, for very good reasons. And I try, you know, and there are days that where I end up being a dick, but there are, you know, what I try is to come at it by, I don't know what got them to this point that they seem to be flipping out over something really, really not that big a deal. Right. To the point where they need, they feel the need to cuss me out and yell at me. Yeah. And so I try really hard just to be a, a sounding board, let them, you know, it's, it's, it kind of sucks sometimes because no one wants to be yelled at, but right. You know, in an environment, in a retail environment, we do have to take a little bit of that brunt. But at the end of it, you know, more often than not, they just need someone to yell at for a minute and then they go on with their day and I go on with my day. And it's, it's a better, it's, it's better than yelling back because all that does is escalate, right? Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't like diminish that they're being a dick as well. Right. Right. But, but a a point I make in the book is like, don't meet someone's dickishness with your own dickishness, right? right? You can, it's kind of like ending the cycle right there. And and that doesn't, doesn't mean that you're a doormat or anything. It just means that, I mean, you have to be mindful about how you respond to people who are being assholes. It kind of, it feels like kind of the book and it's in the way you, the way you write it, which is funny, but also there's this like psychological shift if you read it and take it to heart, right? Because I think it's doing those simple things repeated, you know, repeatedly, right? Right. And yeah. then there's this psychological shift in your brain that you're like, Oh, I can do these little things and I can help and I can make someone stay a little bit better. And I might not know. I just, and that's, I think part of the point, right, is it's not, it's not my job to know if I made their day better. It's just my job to not be the dick that made their day worse. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and we're such ritualistic. uh, Everyone who says like, I'm not religious. It's like, yeah, you are because (laughs) a part, you you don't have to have a God to be religious. We're all religious in a way. If we, if we define religion, a part of religion is having rituals. We're all very ritualistic in some sort of way. Right. So I think the point is to replace our bad ritualistic behavior with good ritualistic behavior to where we're not even thinking about the things that we're doing. I wouldn't have even thought about what I did earlier had we not been talking about this, but I was walking my shopping cart back and someone was done unloading and I was just like, hey, I'll grab that for you and take it back. You know, it might have made that person's day. They may may never think about it again. And John, you're right. The point isn't like, I wonder if that really helped them. It's just like, just do those things naturally and eventually it'll just become second nature to you. And it'll just be, you know, you find out maybe a year from now, you're less of a dick than you were last year. (laughs) That's my goal in the introduction. It's like, I want to be, you know, what I put in the book, I want to be less of a dick after I'm done reading this and putting things into practice. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be a dick ever. I'm sure 100% that I'm a dick every now and then. But hopefully it's, hopefully it's like a, there's a trajectory towards being less of one. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting thing because that's one of those things that, that what I find, what I find problematic within the Christian community is, is people want to do that kind of stuff when people are looking. Yeah. You know, they want to, they want to give the guy, you know, on the corner a dollar and take a selfie with them and and post it. And so that just detracts from, from, from any goodness, I think that was created there. So I, I like the, I like the approach of, 
just trying to put some of the stuff into practice to the point where you're just doing it automatically. You know, I live in Texas. Um, say what you will about Texas. Generally, people are fairly kind in some ways, in, in ways like you're describing. Like, like let me hold yeah. the door for you. Let me let me take this card for you. They're, you know, they can be hateful in other more obtrusive ways. But sure. Um, but it does. But having moved from the East Coast to Texas, it took me a little bit. You know, because you can get yeah. used to that East Coast um, detachedness, right? There's a very much a you know, hey, f you, do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. And there's very. Right. I don't think there's anything malicious behind it. It's just a culture thing. And uh, so we spent the first year in Texas going, all right, what the hell is your angle? Like, why are you yeah. being nice? <laughs> yeah, to me? Exactly. Yeah. Right? What do you want um, from me? We were driving through uh, some little town and. I don't even, couldn't tell you where it was at all, but it was my wife and my four kids and I, right? And we're moving to Texas. And I remember stopping into a gas station and my wife goes in with four kids in tow and they all want something and they're grabbing stuff. And she, I had filled the truck up and was waiting outside, I think. And she had like $7 in her pocket and four or $5 short for what she needed. And some guy walked up and just paid for everything. Yeah, and then you know, and she walked out the door, and it made her day. You know, it was it was it was right. a small thing. It was a, it was a tiny little thing. And of course, you know, having having just come from where we did, I was like, okay, what is that dude after? What's he want? It took me a while yeah. to, to take yeah. that at face value, but but yeah, those little those little random acts of kindness, paying for someone's drink behind you in the Starbucks line, you know, which is you know either here nor there, but yeah, good stuff. So I appreciate that, man. So the other book, though, that, that we did want to discuss, I know we went from saying we don't care too much about theology, but Genesis of Violence is, uh, if, if I'm understanding correctly, pretty heavy, heavily theological in exploring well, and, some Girardian type stuff and uh, origins yeah. of violence. Yeah, and it's funny because I wrote it like five years ago when I was right. really heavy into theology. And, you know, the art for it took a long time because, you know, Zach, the artist, has, has jobs like we all do and kind of did did his art when he could. So it took, it took four or five years to, to push this out. So I'm really happy that it got released. I think it's, um, I think it's kind of like an interesting one of a kind book and it's, it's kind of, yeah, of course it's my interpretation of the book of Genesis. And I think anytime, anytime you talk Bible, you're going to talk interpretation, right? The evangelicals will tell you they're not interpreting it, but they are. Um, so this is just my interpretation of it. I think it's a creative in- interpretation, but I don't think that's a bad thing. So yeah, it's, it's heavily Girardi and it's, it's heavy into mimetic theory and, um, kind of the origins of human violence and, and kind of the, the redemptive reconciliatory trajectory that the book takes, you know, when you get to Jacob and Esau and then Joseph and his brothers and, you know, to stem the tide of violence that we see early on in the book of Genesis, there has to be there has to be someone who breaks that cycle. And so with Jacob and Esau, they have to make a decision to reconcile and they do, right? And Joseph has to make the decision to forgive his brothers and to not be retributive when their father dies because uh, that's what they're afraid of. So he he has to, and it's, and it's funny because the, the prophecy about all of his brothers kind of bowing down to him is only fulfilled after he shows them forgiveness, right? Um, and that's the act that that causes that. So my argument is that you have like the gospel and and I'm not talking the Calvinist gospel. I'm talking about the actual gospel in Genesis. You know, you have a lot of, you have a lot of, you know, other stuff too going on. (laughs) A lot of violence, (laughs) a lot of bloodshed, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of shit. But I think though, if you see, if you take the step back and see the overarching narrative, you have this trajectory away from violence and here's how we get away from violence. Even, even Abraham and Isaac, like if, 
you know, to get super nerdy, like the word for God that is pro-sacrifice, go, you know, take Isaac up to the mountain. That's a different word than when the, than the sacrifices stop, right? So yeah. it's an angel of Yahweh comes and stops the sacrifice. And that, that to me is a linguistic um, hint that something's going on here uh, in the text that's going to tell us, I know that God says this because that's the context, right? That's the assumption back in the day. God, I know God says this. However, our God says to stop it, right? So th- that's that's what I'm trying to do in the book. And I think Zach does a brilliant job of um, taking my interpretation and then interpreting it, distilling it down even further into a graphic. So it is kind of this graphic novel sort of thing. People have asked me, is it a children's book? It's absolutely not a children's book because it's it's like super gruesome. If you've read Genesis, it's super gruesome, super bloody, and uh, super awesome. Yeah. Well, the Bible's not a kid's book either, so... Oh, no. <laughs> we stop shoving that down our kids' throats, going and painting scenes from Noah's Ark on their on their nursery walls. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just wrote an article about like where God was not pro life because we've got this whole abortion shit that's going on. And it's like, I mean, it doesn't say it in the text, but it stands to reason that there's pregnant teenage moms that are drowned in Noah's flood. I mean, let's yeah. just be real. Someone's pregnant at that point, and they die because of a flood that God sent. So just a literalist reading of the text. It's like, no, this God is very violent. Now, I I think, you know, there's assumptions when we read the text like that. Like, I don't see perfect theology there. But but most people who are anti-abortion, let's say, do. So what do we do with stuff like that? Yeah. No, and when you've painted yourself into a corner where you think that every every word in that in that book is literally true, Right. Um, then you really have a reckoning, don't you? I mean, because then you really have 100%. to explain God's pro-life stance. And, and of yeah, course, they'll, they, they, they do it easily enough, though. They're fairly deft at this, aren't they? Because then they just go back to that whole thing of, well, God did it, therefore it's okay, because, you know, that's anything God does is, is fine. Um, his his yeah, ways are yeah. higher than our ways. Yes, yes. That bullshit. Yahweh's. No yeah. way, Yahweh. Um, yeah, but then at that point, we have like linguistic and ethical nihilism because then what we call good cannot necessarily be good. And we're just talking mumbo jumbo at that point. We can't even communicate. Cause if, 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 if God does something that we would call bad if we did it, but God, because God did it, it is good. Right. Then therefore we can't even have a conversation because we can't establish our terms. Right. Yeah. There's no frame of reference for what there's, no, there's no there's objective none. goodness at all then, right? No, absolutely um, and, not. And then, and then, you know, that's, that's one of those things that when you argue with, and I don't, when you talk, let's say, talk to atheists, you know, because the standard, the standard diatribe against atheism is how can you know right from wrong without God? And the fact of the matter is you absolutely can know. <laughs> what are you talking about? There are, right. there are plenty of morally upright people who don't give a rip about God one way or the other. They still know it's wrong to do ABC or whatever it is. Um, so, and then when we further muddy the waters and say, but when my God decides, you know, if you, do, you pull a John Piper deal and go like, hey, if God decides to... Oh, uh, man, now a dog's going to get kicked. <laughs> Piper, screw you. But, you know, it, bridge collapses in Minnesota and, you know, sends 50 people to their icy deaths in the water below and God is somehow not just responsible, but glorified in what happens. Yeah, you're right. We're not even speaking the same language anymore. I no, mean, we, no yeah. we can't. And we can't. We can't. I mean, in like the... In the uh, in the Jacques Derrida sense of the word deconstruction, we can't right. we don't even have a unity of text at that point. Like we cannot even talk to each other because our definitions are diametrically opposed. Right. Because we we would call like it's the uh, you know it's the William Lane Craig sort of uh, apologetic that anything God does is good. 
because God does it. And it's like, okay, but we would diametrically oppose that and, and say that a person who did that is evil. Right. And God, God would say that too. Of course. Yeah. 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 But so, so at what point do we have to just like throw our hands up and say, yeah, we can't even talk to people like that because it's, it's only going to lead to a headache. We literally cannot communicate. Right. Just, just for, just for shits and giggles, those, those who aren't familiar with Derrida, do you, do you have a Cliff Notes version of, cause I know we've, we've hijacked this term deconstruction or right. we've, we've certainly, in some ways, I think we're applying it appropriately somewhat, but I know it, I know Derrida's meaning of that word is not, not what we've attached to it. Yeah. So we're actually doing something, uh, Derridean in a way. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so deconstruction just, like, I think meant like, I mean, Derrida is very difficult to read. Very and difficult. It's been, yes. it's been a long time since I've read him. From what I understand, like the basic, basic understanding is that we, we deconstruct words and meanings to where we can have a community, we can communicate what these things mean in, right. in our context, right? So we have to have what's, what's called a unity of text. When we're saying things, we have to like look at one another and say, okay, we both understand what we're saying here. We've deconstructed that term that he used to now make it mean something different, which is, which is, I think, appropriate in the truest decon- sense of the word deconstruction. So now right. it sort of means we're challenging our faith. Um, we're, we're picking apart our assumptions theologically and we're wrestling through them and we're abandoning, abandoning them in many instances and then quote unquote reconstructing something new. And I think that, uh, as long as that's our unity of text, that's fine. But it didn't originally mean that, though that's what it typically means now. And now it's a buzzword and, you know, which is fine. But I think a lot of times even that is problematic because when I hear evangelicals like Alyssa Childers or Josh McDowell use the term deconstruction and then tell us what it means, that's not generally what people are going through. So they'll warn people against deconstruction, say what it is. And those of us who have deconstructed our, you know, evangelical faith are like, no, that's, I mean, there are bits and pieces that are correct in what you're saying, but most of that, we don't have a unity of text now. Uh, we don't have a unity of meaning because you're misrepresenting what that experience is for most of us. It's them taking, it's them taking a term that they don't even understand. Right. Uh, they haven't taken, and yeah, uh, you know, you've talked about this before where they, they've taken this, this idea of what we are, what we call deconstruction. I didn't use that word because I, I, I di- apparently did this so long ago. There was no word for deconstruction, but, and they're not taking the time to figure out what exactly is going on. They're just deciding that they're going to use the word in a way to attack. The most absurd example of that was, was that dude whose name I've already forgotten, but the lead singer for that, you know, whatever. Oh, yes. Christian yeah, Frying Pan. Frying Pan. Yeah. Frying Pan. <laughs> um, and, and his whole thing, it was like, like, you have no, you, you just don't even have any understanding. You just created a caricature of something you want to easily knock down. You've created this two dimensional thing of, you know, hey, all you people, you weren't ever Christians to begin with and yada, yada, yada. But, but you get that same kind of stuff no matter what the issue is, don't you? You get your position. You know, th- that's one of the things that I've appreciated about you so much, Matt, um, is you've, you've helped me in a way to, um, I, I've seen you deal with your interlocutors in a way that is respectful. And, and I've not seen you like create two dimensional caricatures of their, of their ideas just so you can destroy them easily. Right. I've actually seen you present them well and say, listen, I, I, try, yeah, yeah. I try to. I mean, there are times when, 
I mean, there are times when you, you kind of do on accident. Like if you're, if I say, yeah, you know, Hey, evangelicals. And then someone will come and say, "Ah, I'm an evangelical and I don't believe that. And it's like, okay, well, okay. Then I'm not necessarily talking to you. You know, it's like, we all fall for this trap of like, if you, if you say something that I identify with, then I'm, I, I, I like take it to heart and, and I want to say, well, not all, we do it with like, oh, well, not all white people or not all men. It's like, well, okay, but then, enough of them that, <laughs> but enough, enough of them that we're, you know, we, you know, not everything has to be a thesis. You know, if you're making a blog post or something, you're not going right. to have to, oh, well, I don't mean this. I mean this group who does this. And, that, and it's like, okay, well, just for sake of simplicity, conservative Christians or evangelicals and try to present it fairly. Um, the, the one I probably do straw man the most is Calvinism, but to be fair, I've read enough Calvin to know that I don't think modern Calvinists are reading enough Calvin. Yeah, <laughs> if, no, I agree. You know, going back to the John Piper thing, it's like, well, no, God doesn't do that stuff. He just for, or for has foreknowledge of it or this. And it's like, no, actually Calvin said that everything is like God did like dictates everything, even all the evil. Like I, I, I use quotes that he says that in my books and it's like, maybe you should read Calvin more if you're a Calvinist because he literally says that shit. Yeah. I've got, I've got a friend who's a Presbyterian pastor and I love him. He's a great guy. And if I ever comment or, or post about Calvinism, I immediately get a response. Hey, well, you know, actually, you know, I've, and I'm like, no, actually, Calvin said this. You may not agree yeah. with it. Yeah. And that's fine that you don't follow everything Calvin says just because you're a Presbyterian. I get that. But let's, let's, let's not play games with some of the horrendous shit that guy, I, just read it. If you can plow your way through institutes, which I have yet to do all the way, there's enough ammo there to go. Nah, that's pretty horrifying. There's some stuff in there that's, you know, and, I, and I'll pull a quote or two out that I'm like, oh, we, we found some common ground on one thing, but. Every once in a while, I like to play that game where you go, hey, you know, <laughs> you play that game where you pull a quote. And I had, I had a game I used to play with a guy who was like, uh, was it uh, Jesus or Hitler? You know, <laughs> there was some stuff out there, man. It's like, like Hitler, Hitler said some things once in a while. It was like, you know, not totally batshit crazy. You can't say that or post it. And be like, hey, this is a nifty little, you know, you know, meme, memeable quote from Adolf Hitler. But, you know, um, just, just open a, a like a, a burner Twitter account. It's just Jesus. Yes. I just post quotes and people have to guess. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be banned so quick. Well, maybe not now that Elon Musk. Uh, is yeah, no, now I'll just be celebrated. I'll probably have 10,000 followers by the end of the day. But, <laughs> probably. Uh, it's crazy, man. It's uh, absolutely crazy. But the straw man thing is, is one thing that I've noticed that a lot when, when there's just people dealing with stuff they don't understand at all, you know, and it's easier just to create some fictional thing. Anyway, yeah. So for those of you who are interested and ever want to try, what Matt said is absolutely correct. Dared is hard to read. I actually first heard that name um, from Peter Rollins and I was listening to a podcast he was on and he brought him. And I was like, I'd much rather listen to, to Peter, <laughs> to Pete talk about Derrida than actually try and read through that stuff. It's difficult, but. Yeah. And, and again, it's been so long since I've read like that or uh, Hegel or, I mean, I used to be way into all that shit. Uh, even Gerard, like I haven't read Gerard in forever, you know? So it's like, again, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm moving past the sort of like, let's put out a defense of some doctrine or this and that. Like, like the next couple of books that I'm writing, I wrote one with Michelle about my deconstruction story. And I've got a book called The Wisdom of Hobbits coming out where I, you know, I, talk about all the good and some of the bad that Tolkien's characters, the hobbits have, uh, you know, that, that, that they bring to the table. And I'm just kind of trying to do different shit like that and create interesting content without 
without the heavy theological stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the Tolkien thing then, because that's, uh, that, that has intrigued me a bunch. So are you, are you using pretty much the entirety of the Tolkien universe or are you kind of focusing in on Lord of the Rings or? Yeah. So I'm using the, the entire legendarium as it's known. Um, I've read most of it. Uh, there's some tales and un, uh, some of the unfinished tales that I haven't read. Uh, but most of those have nothing to do with hobbits. Most of the stuff on hobbits is from, uh, the hobbit, obviously and the Lord of the Rings. But there's a lot of other stuff that I'm talking about from the Silmarillion and things like that, uh, a bunch of his letters. And I'm just, I'm just putting forth, I think, like an understanding of what it means to be human, of things that we can learn, pros and cons that we can learn from hobbits. So I'm talking about, you know, hobbits are very insular, so that's one of their negatives. And they have a, um, a distrust of, of outsiders. They have a bit of xenophobia. Uh, but the hobbits that, you know, go outside the borders of the Shire um, kind of lose that. And so how do we apply that to our lives? Well, that applies to immigration policies, right? That applies to coming in contact with LGBT people. So how can we, how can we apply those things today? So how can we apply um, Tolkien's view of the ecology, that, you know, in a time of climate change and deforestation and the Pacific garbage patch? I think Tolkien presents kind of two ways, like the ways of Saruman and Isengard and what their end is, they, they all end up in ruin, right? Or the ways of hobbits, which are more agrarian and, you know, one with the earth. And I think it's symbolic that they even live in the earth most of the time, like they build their, you know, their homes into the earth itself. So I think all these things, this wisdom found in like the simplicities of life, which hobbits are very simple, um, I think applied, you know, in our world makes it a better place. Well, you even like do that um, within your own lifestyle, right? I mean, you had, uh, some of the pictures I've seen recently of you like, kind of redoing your garden. For the people that don't know, it was the, it was in paradise, right? Uh, the garden you were working on. Yeah. So in in uh, paradise, I live in Chico, California, right. and my best friend Mike Machuga, who is a co-author of uh, the Bonfire Sessions, he lives in paradise, which is like fifteen minutes away. And we have like an acre of land up there and we had, you know, a vineyard and an orchard and we had a big garden and it burned down in the 2018 campfire, uh, where it basically took out like 85% of, of the town. And so it's kind of like the scouring of the Shire at the end of the return of the King, where the Shire is completely laid to waste because of Saruman, who, spoiler alert, doesn't, it doesn't die in the two towers in the books and the films. I know he does, but and so it's kind of like, it's kind of paralleled there. So we just redid his entire property, huge garden, like a permaculture uh, focus. We have a vineyard, we have a orchard and the weather hasn't cooperated. So it's been a slow start to this year, but it's finally back. You know, we're making sure we're composting everything. We're, we're applying the the basic tenets of what it means to be a hobbit in the real world to see how that works on our little plot of land that we use as a, you know, community garden type thing with, well, it's, it's a small community, it's just us, but on his property and just the joy of growing your own food is phenomenal. Yeah, I have, uh, my wife and I, uh, we have a small garden, um, that we enjoy. It's, it's, it's very, very small, but it's, it's, and it's a learning process, right? I mean, even because right. I didn't know how to garden, other than uh, Nat and I had a grandfather who was quite the gardener, and we were raised around that, but we never really learned anything other than how to help him go pick the the, the, the fruits of his labor. Um, we didn't really get the other side of it, and I really wish I had talked to him more about that. But there is something 
really genuine about returning to the land and getting getting back into a, like a oneness with nature and uh, you know yeah. I, I I live on 23 acres and I you know it's, oh, it's beautiful and uh, we've got a nice creek that runs through our property and it's really when nice. are we starting and, our commune man come on <laughs> you never know it might have to happen but, I mean uh, everyone else yeah. out there is growing weed John you might as well start. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, mean, I, need to. I got so many people around me. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but you know, it's like uh, I have a friend uh, that I'm in conversation with. He's going to bring up bees. We're going to start raising bees up here. Right. Um, right. Uh, he wants to start this this uh, a certain type of blackberry uh, patch. But I'm like, they're they're really evasive. I don't really want to do that to my property because they take over so quickly. Yeah, it's like the one thing that um, we can't get rid of in our yeah. garden. And yeah. In, in many places in the, in the property, there's, you know, huge blackberry bushes and that's fine. It's along a fence or it's on the edge of the property, but they are the most invasive, I think, of the species that we have. Yeah. Yeah. So even though it sounds really interesting and they're, and they're thornless berries, so, you know, you can oh, really, nice. like reach yeah. in there and grab as many berries as you want. It's like, I yeah. have to say no to that one because yeah. I, don't, I don't want it all over my property. Right. But uh, I'll, side I'll, note really quick, and Nat, Nat will remember this, and this might be interesting to you. So, uh, just with the idea of Hobbiton, right? The, the village of where the hobbits live. When Nat, where Nat, when Nat and I were kids, my grandparents, our, our grandparents lived in a little town called Phillipsville on the Avenue of the Giants. And Nat, do you remember the little hobbit village? I do. Fondly. Yeah. They called yeah. it Hobbiton. Go figure. Yeah. Now, this so was we the 70s. Able- this was the height of, honestly, I think, I think before the movies, obviously in the 70s, that was like, Tolkien was everywhere. They'd come out with the cartoons and so everyone was capitalizing on the, you know, the, the Hobbit craze. Yeah. Yeah. And where, where, where was this? It was in a little town, not even a town. I mean, a little village. Village. Yeah. There's uh, a little town. So do you, have you ever heard of the Avenue of the Giants? It's a stretch of uh, Highway I've, 101 that, that goes right through the heart of the Redwoods. Right. Is, is it like south of Monterey? Oh, yeah. Way, way north. Way north. Way north. Oh, it's up, yeah, okay, so, up that way. Humboldt, Humboldt County, County. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking right. like okay. uh, from like Garberville to okay, what Myers Flat or so. Anyway, so but it's a stretch. Of, it used to be an old logging highway. Uh, now it's just called the Avenue of the Giants. If you ever get up that way, it's it's one of the most spectacular drives you'll ever take because it just drives yeah. right through the heart of these massive redwood trees. Um, and there's a few little small towns left on that on that avenue. And where my parent, where my grandparents lived, was a little tiny town called Phillipsville, like 200 people, most of them. You know, probably eighty percent of those live at a trailer park. Now, now, interestingly enough, uh, this was a town of two hundred people with three bars, which was pretty impressive. Was there three? There was there was the bar we three drank. Bar? Remember the bar that when we were kids, there was a bar that would that would they would serve us called the Sawblade Tavern, um, which was <laughs> just a hell of a lot of fun. We'd go shoot pool, and they'd you know they'd give us a beer once in a while. Anyway, but so yeah, small, very very small little town. But there was that little. Isn't that where Hobbiton was too? Wasn't that? No, it was. Uh, it was a little bit farther down. It was. It was near the Riverwood Inn. Yeah, the Riverwood Inn. There you go. See, but it was. Yeah, it was neat. It was. It. It made me want to go. Like, um, actually, there was times, John. Don't you remember going down to the river and trying to make Hobbit holes? Like we dug these yeah. big holes yeah. in the ground. We th- we were trying to make our own little, yeah, our own little Hobbit habitats, man. So I've been fascinated with Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and stuff most of my life. I mean. So yeah. I'm, I'm a total nerd. My wife makes fun of me and I'm okay with it. Yeah, no, I'm fine. And we're, we're, we're all nerds about something, right? I mean, that's right. Pick something you'll be, you'll nerd out on it. But because speaking of nerding out, you, don't you have something going too? Aren't you working something with the, with the office as well? Cause I also nerd out on the office quite a bit. I, I am. Yes. And 
John is a part of it as well. So uh, I can't really give too much details on it just because it's um, we're still waiting on some essays from some contributors. But uh, essentially, I'm I'm putting together a uh, a collection of essays where different contributors look at a character or a plot line through the lens of Joseph Campbell's uh, The Hero's Journey. Mm, you know, okay. we, 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 think of, we think of Lord of the Rings or uh, Star Wars universe when it comes to Hero's Journey, Luke Skywalker, things like that. Um, I'm, I'm trying to take a more like, I mean, this Hero's Journey is applicable, I think, to everyone's lives. So let's look at the most popular television show, which I'm, my wife and I are obsessed over for like the last 15 years or whatever. And look at those characters' journeys because it seems to me that, you know, Dwight and Jim and Pam and Oscar and Michael take journeys of sorts, right? I mean, Michael Scott, for instance, in, in season one is the most unredeemable character in the history of television. Unbelievable. No one roots, no yeah. one roots for him. Extremely cringe without any redeemable qualities. Like the episodes just end and you're like, fuck this guy. <laughs> and then, and then by season seven, you know, I mean, no one is not crying when he leaves, right? Yeah. And everyone is rooting for him and Holly. Spoiler alert. That's on, yeah, that's yeah. on you if you haven't seen it. They get together. Um, it's okay. <laughs> at this point, you know, it's okay. So so what is it about their journeys that, I mean, Dwight is the same way. Who would really root for Dwight and Angela in the real world? Like, right. But we get to know these characters so well that you're like, okay, there is, there is an arc. And it seems to be a, a theme. And so wonderful contributors. Um, John. Uh, a bunch of choir authors, uh, uh, some scholars are all kind of looking, even my, my sister-in-law is, um, this is like her first uh, published writing that it will, will be published. Um, so just a bunch of different people from different backgrounds, all looking at these characters because with, you know, we have one common thing. We love the office, right? So I think it'll be an interesting one of a kind project. And I, I hope to God that somehow it gets in the hands of some people involved with the office and, you know, so that they can take a look at it because I think it's, um, I think it does justice to the office. And I think anyone who loves the office will read the book and go like, Oh, I, I gained a lot of insight into these characters that I knew, but I, but maybe it was fleshed out hopefully more for them. Uh, one of those things that struck me as weird about the office was, you know, I, I, I've seen it. I, I bet you have too. I've seen it all the way through multiple times. Right. And I noticed that at some point in my, in my viewing, I kind of stopped rooting for Jim. Like he becomes like, I, like okay. through another lens, you can see, you know, yeah. So he's, he's painted as, as, you know, as the guy that you want to root for the whole time. But there's times when you look right. back on those episodes and go, actually, you were an instigator in a lot of these things. You were kind of being was, an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he, he has a bit of a, a bully tendency at, yeah. at times. And, and another character, you know, along those same lines that we root against is Karen Filippelli. Right. And, 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 and Karen does really nothing wrong, right? She's, you know, her and Jim, for all intents and purposes, have a decent relationship. Um, but, but in the background of that, we always want Jim and Pam to get together. Right. So she's an and, obstacle. And, and, and she's, she's an obstacle, right? Yeah. She's an yeah. obstacle to the, to this goal. And it's like, and we're like really happy when he leaves her in fucking New York, right? Just leaves her right. out. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yeah. And it's like, wait a second. We should have some sort of empathy for this woman who is left in New York, you know, goes on a trip for, to apply for the same job as her boyfriend. They, you know, they go to a play. They have, they have it looks like they're having fun. They, they see who, who, who from Saturday Night Live, one of the, you know, some famous person. They have this like this wonderful, it seems like little vacation 
and he leaves your ass there and, and we cheer it on. Yeah. Uh, but in, in, in the real world, it's like, no, that was kind of a dick move, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you have that, you have the a connection with Rain Wilson. So I'm sure someone's going to get this in their hands. I would, I would imagine. I that. hope so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were able to have them on the, on the podcast. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, these, these folks are so busy. So, oh, yeah. um, yeah, no, uh, no beef if, if it doesn't work out. But now well, one of the greatest things I discovered in the last like two months was that, um, and I'm not plugging for any, you know, streaming service or anything, but Peacock, who now owns The Office, right? Because it's an NBC deal. Um, they've, they've got the first four seasons of The Office, the super fan episodes. Have you seen those? Right. Oh, so yeah. There's, yeah. So I, I, I must have been late to the party. I was like, holy shit, I get to watch these again. And there's, yeah. in, you know, however many minutes of added stuff that they've put in context, too, which I thought was better than like, oh, here's a bunch of deleted scenes at the end of the show. Yeah, which it's like... Um... I mean, we're in an era now where most of these things, even like, I mean, the Lord of the Rings, um, the office, if these things were not, I mean, like the office, if it wasn't like a syndicated broadcast on NBC, if it was just, if it was like straight to Netflix, you know, if it was 20 years later, right. If it came out 20 years later, I mean, you'd have like 40 minute episodes, right. Right. You could have as lengthy episodes as you want. I mean, Lord of the Rings, if it, if it was made, I mean, I like I like Peter Jackson's films, but, but it's a film. You have to cut some things down. Yeah. But if you did it as an episodic sort of thing and you, and you went through the, and if it was, if it was like the book a hundred percent, I mean, I think that would be even, even, even more profound and wonderful. But I love that Peacock has done that because yeah, the episodes are like 35 to 40 minutes. So it's basically double. I, I love that they're longer and I watch every, every season that they add this to. Um, so I'm hoping they're doing the rest of the seasons as they go along. But there is times where you're like, okay, I can see why that wasn't. I, I see why they cut that. Did you notice how 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 early on in that show they actually intended to reveal who Creed Bratton was? And that was a smart move, I think, to hold that back because because it's it's in the first season that or maybe the second season that he's he's they have these little outtakes with him where he's like, oh yeah, I was used to be in this band called the Grassroots, and and so you you find out very early on that he's a real character, which I thought was yeah, brilliant yeah. to reveal way towards the end and go. Oh shit! He's not just Creed Bratton. He's actually playing himself in this show. That's amazing. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of he's kind of like a hyperbolized version of himself. Yeah, it was I, I, great. Have, I have I have one of their albums. <laughs> yeah, well, on vinyl. La 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 la. Live for today, right? That's 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 the grassroots, right? So I believe so. Yeah, interesting. I, it's so. Hey, another thing I want to talk about before we forget um, is you're you're working also on a sequel to Heretic, which I I didn't know about until we talked offline. So. I'm really interested to see where where do you go with that with that work? Is there, are you sticking along the same vein of LGBTQ affirming, or are you moving on to another area of heresy that you want to you know well, indoctrinate us into? Yeah, my whole <laughs> yeah my whole goal is just to indoctrinate people into my cult, um, <laughs> which I think is the greatest accusation of all time. Like we have we have no hierarchy, no structure. Yeah. I'm not making any money. I was gonna say, um, you're, yeah, you're, <laughs> if you're not getting rich, how can it be a cult, man? Exactly. Um, I think the only similarities I, I, I do drugs. Um, no, I, I just I, I smoke a little weed. That's that's it. Um, yeah, it's well, it's, it's one of those things. Like it keeps getting like we, you know, kind of the theme of this episode <laughs> is that we don't care about theology any longer. So it keeps getting pushed back by projects that I'm way more excited about. But at some uh, point, I have, to, I have to release a follow up because it's like I don't want it to be like 30 years later and here's a follow up. So it's just ten more, ten more things. Like heretic, I answer ten questions from evangelicals that are most you know most pressing to them apparently. So in this one, I just do the same thing. I I, I first I 
didn't, I don't know how I didn't do this. I didn't really talk about hell much in heretics. So I talk about hell and, and, and it's called apostate. So I've, I've gone from heresy to apostasy. So, um, I talk about hell. I talk about women in leadership and, and cover all that and what's biblical, what's not. Um, all, all the things that I didn't get to cover, uh, I try to cover in, in, I talk about politics and how God's not a Republican, um, breaking news. Um, <laughs> what else do I cover? There's 10 of them. And I'm like six chapters done. I talk about parenting, what parenting looks like after you've deconstructed and, uh, a bunch of others. So I, I haven't written it all, but I would say that maybe in the next year I'll have it done. Hopefully. Yeah. I'm, I'm envious of guys who are deconstructing or have deconstructed and still have kids to raise. Because if there's one thing I would go back and change, it would be the, you know, it, I, I, I would, my approach to, to child rearing would have been yeah. one of the ones that just took the, the biggest hit, you know? And, uh, so it's I wish I'd known one. some of this. It, it, what is, it's a tough one when you're saddled with an ideology that says essentially beat your kids or you're a bad parent. And so, and yeah, but, sadly, but it's, but it's also a tough one when you're kind of the, breaking away from a mold as like the first generation to do so. Because I mean, my parents didn't hit me or spank me, but I, you know, my wife's parents were very rigid in their, you know, child rearing. Yeah. And also, but also very distant at the same time. So there's that whole dynamic of emotionally distant, but physically like I will, I will spank you or I will hit you. Right. And, and very evangelical fundamentalist. So it, it's difficult. I mean, yes, it's good to break away from that, obviously, but it's difficult to be like, okay, now what? Yeah. Now, now how do I raise my kid in a, so I love what Cindy Wang Brandt has done with her, um, you know, uh, what's her book, uh, parenting forward or deacon, something like that, unfundamentalist parenting, um, something to that effect. So I, I love that there are groups like that and, and people like that thinking, okay, well, how do we then raise our kids? Because we don't want to raise our kids simply on what we're not, because that doesn't work. So right. we're not evangelicals. Okay, great. So, so what? So what are you and how are you going to raise your kids? So I talk a little bit about that. In fact, some of the material I use from that, uh, is going into a book that choir is doing. I think Jason Elam is, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, John's I'm actually sure. contributed I'm, to that as well. Yeah. So. I, I, yeah. I've contributed right. to that as well. Yeah. I didn't know if it was announced. I don't know what's announced or what. I don't, I, I don't know I'm either, doing. but it, if it's breaking news for us and so, so be it, Ralph can <laughs> yell at us later. I've got 7,000 hats and 7,000 different projects and I yeah. don't know what's what sometimes. So yeah, I know we had a uh, matter of fact, we had Jason and somebody else on to talk about that. Didn't we, John? Um, I don't know if we talked about that. It was Jason and Eric. Um, okay. But I'm not, I'm not sure up, we talked it, about it. It, yeah, I think it, it came may have been, up. Yeah. yeah, it might not have been the reason, but we, it certainly came up. That's so. what she said. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Michael, always so. Michael De Stefano. I'm gonna change yeah, it. He's like, <laughs> that's what who said. I never know. I, I never know. I never know. It's <laughs> one of those moments, isn't it? I remember. I'm weirdly enough, I've just watched a lot of these episodes. There's the um, there is the episode where um, he decides to go out and play Survivor. Right, yeah. and and when he comes back, he has that very human <laughs> moment with Jim. He's like, yeah. "Oh, you, you you tried to do the birthday thing." He's yeah. like, "Yeah, I, I did that. that. Yeah. I did yeah. that too." Yeah, <laughs> and it, you know. And it, but there is that. You're right. That I like how, and I don't know if it was intentional, but just sort of unfolded that way. But but as the series progresses, you do start to see. Oh, this is actually a a, a fairly decent human being. You know. Yeah, and, that was from what I understand. on listening to like Brian Baumgartner's deep dive podcast and the office ladies. I think that was intentional by the writers that 
in order for there to be longevity. And, and so they had to take, right, that they had to take the British humor into an American audience. Right, right. And from what I understand, the Ricky Gervais character, there's not much redeemable about him or, or the Dwight character. Zero. So for that to, that wouldn't work here. Right. And so for it to work, season one was hilarious. I mean, there's some, uh, 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 what a diversity day. I mean, some of those moments oh, are just, just so good. Gold. But you can't build an entire, you can't, you couldn't build nine seasons on that. So right. there had, he had to have redeemable qualities and, and, and that was intentional breaking through. And I think it was Greg Daniels who originally uh, came up with that. And maybe there was, I think a little bit of hesitance on that because there was the, the worry that some of the cringe would be gone. But as, as we obviously know, plenty of cringe, even though Michael was redeemable. Yeah. Well, that's, it has to be one of the reasons. I, I wonder if that's one of the reasons why the, the British version of that, sh- you know, only lasted a con. I think there's only two seasons in it. Or I series. think it's two. Yeah. And so, and, yeah. and I've watched, it is funny. And, but it's you're funny. exactly right. After about the second, you know, that, through the second season of that, it was like, I'm not sure how much more of this I can take. <laughs> it know, would be like, like, it would be like Scott's tots for an entire season. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh. See, and that's one of my least favorite episodes because there's just, oh. it's an abundance I lo- I of cringe, man. I love that. And I love the dinner party. My wife loves the dinner party, but she, if she had her druthers, I don't know what druthers means, but if she had them, <laughs> she would, she would skip Scott's tots. And I'm like, uh, no, I make her watch it. See, I, 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 would, I don't know. The, the dinner party is pretty rough too, man. It's just like, oh, oh, it's God, so good. <laughs> It's so we I sang just, one of our friends um, on voicemail. I learned how to play that stupid song. I was gonna say I was, that's actually the song that's in my head right now. Just yeah. one night, one night, one night, you made everything all right. right. So awkward. I mean, just imagine being there. How awkward that would be. Oh, it's glorious. Oh man, I want to. I want to get a tiny plasma TV in one room of my house. Just to show people, hey, look. Have you seen Have you seen the outtakes of that? <laughs> yes. <You> barely <laughs> get through it on like the yeah. 90th try. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, now we've devolved into complete fa- office fandom, fanboy. Yeah. Um, totally. yeah that's, there's worse ways to spend an afternoon. So, yeah. yeah. So there's so much, uh, there's so much you're involved in that you're, that I'm excited for, man. It's, I do love to see, um, how much success you're having on Amazon. I love that. That and anytime you post something that, that, that shows that you're, you know, you're, you're eclipsing some of these more, you know, stalwart evangelical people. I'm like, that just must piss them off. And I, well, I, they know, don't kick care. Out. They don't. I mean, God, don't I mean, I always, I, the only one I laugh about is when I, when I go ahead of C.S. Lewis and because my daughter <laughs> has been in, uh, a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe ballet a couple times. So I always uh-huh. brag to her and she just, she just rolls her eyes and was like, yeah, he's been dead for like 50 years and he's still number one. I'm like, ah, uh, uh-huh. fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like three teenagers. My God, they always uh-huh. have a comeback. Yeah. Um, it, it gets, uh, it gets worse before it gets better, but it does get better. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, I probably hear my, my, uh, That's both my I daughters think. are in their twenties and yeah, I like them a lot more now. <laughs> no, I, my, my daughter's great. She's just, um, she she doesn't look like me. She looks like my wife, which is probably a good thing. But she has like my snark and my like activist bent. So right. it, which is great, but also sometimes like like a bit much, especially for my wife to handle. Like because my my daughter will sit there and like philosophically debate, and I'm like. She's kind of pulling one over on you, honey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but she's got a point. 
Yeah, I, I, I want to take your side, but like intellectually, I got to kind of go with her. And it's, it's, funny. it's funny to have that dynamic with your kid when they're old enough to like be like autonomous to a point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Except, that, you know, at some point, you know, you have to reconcile the fact with the fact you're married to one of them. So. Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah. I sleep with one in my yeah. bedroom, and I got it. You know, so yeah. So that door gets closed, and you get to go. Okay, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> man. Could you pick me up one time? Just one. Damn it. <laughs> well, oh, this is awesome, man. I'm so excited for everything that's happening with you, man. I'm just, uh, we're just tickled pink. We, I, I love talking to you. You're a lot of fun. If you're listening, if you've made it this far and you haven't checked out, um, <laughs> check out all the stuff, all of Matt's stuff in the bio. We'll leave stuff in the, in the show notes, um, social media, books, essays, support him on Patreon. Uh, just yes. start throwing money at him. If you just randomly put money in an envelope and send it to him, he would appreciate that. And then maybe he could quit one of his 12 jobs and just cash. Know, yeah, cash. Just, just cash. Yeah. Something untraceable. Um, <laughs> dime, dime bags of weed would be fine. Um, so. <laughs> Just, no, actually, I just came across like a lot of weed, so I'm good right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's good. He's set for that. Um, but you can never have too much cash on hand. So uh, That's right. Um, all joking aside, um, guys like Matt who are doing this and trying to trying to honestly get a living while doing 10 or 12 other things, man, could use all the support they can get. So yes. um, with, in all yes. seriousness, with all sincerity, um, buy the books, man. Yes, thank you. Help, help keep this guy putting out content that is irrelevant and interesting and good. So, yep. anyway. All right. All right. I'm done being serious. It. Back to the jokes, man. All right. Appreciate <laughs> you, man. All right. All right. Yeah, All right. thank you very much. Bye. Peace. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.